Bible verse than what David said. I, I was glad. They said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. After being apart for almost three months, every one of these services that we have on Sunday, it's just, uh, it's just really, really nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we, had a, we had a great, a great time in the nine o'clock service, and, and I appreciate your faithfulness. Let me read a verse to you in Revelation chapter 3. I, uh, I don't know a lot about Revelation. I, I've said people, I guess I, but I guess I know as much as anybody else. And my guess is as good as the next guy. But uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, John is talking to seven different churches. And there are lots of amazing lessons that you can learn from that. But you cannot negate the fact that they were seven actual churches that existed simultaneously in Asia years ago. This is the sixth one, the church in Philadelphia. In three and seven, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. So that phrase is what we're going to deal with today. We won't exhaust it, but let me just give you one way to look at it. The key of David. If you'll have a good attitude, you can sit down. Okay? I feel a long, dry sermon coming on, so. Hallelujah. So let's walk through the word of the Lord just for a bit here. Kind of pitch your mental tent and uh, we'll uh, give you a little history. Um, I, I, uh, I was Black Lives Matter before there was ever a Black Lives Matter. And uh, I was. Um, I, uh, I was accused of being racist uh, a year ago and uh, and on social media, and uh, there were a group of people, I didn't even know them, but they came to my defense and said, have you seen his staff? <laughs> we have just about one of everything in this church and on this staff, and I, uh, I dearly love it. And uh, um, I've always thought it was amazing that they were called Christians first at Antioch. They were not called Christians first in Jerusalem even though that's where the church started. Because Jerusalem church is all Jews. Antioch in Syria is the first real interracial New Testament church. And um, we live in such a multicultural city and area, and I really think that's what the church ought to be. I don't think there's going to be a ghetto in the New Jerusalem. And uh, I don't think there's going to be a hood there. There's not going to be an eight mile uh, in the New Jerusalem. Not going to happen. And uh, there are seven no mores in the book of Revelation. Six of them make perfect sense to me. No more night, no more darkness, no more sickness, no more death. But there's one that always intrigued me. It said there'll be no more sea. This is what I think that means. When John wrote this revelation, he was on an, an island. And uh, he was, it was basically the Alcatraz of his day. 
And uh, they, you didn't need dogs and fences and guns. You just, they just marooned these guys on this island called Patmos. And um, I think what John was saying, that the day will come when nothing's going to separate us. Nothing's going to come between us. And um, this, this lesson started in my heart years ago because I, I read Acts 15. Now, you, you gotta, here's Acts 1 and 8. Jesus said this, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Four different things he said there. He said, first of all, it's going to happen in Jerusalem, which it did in Acts chapter 2. Then he said it would go to Judea. In the same way that Lansing is the capital of Michigan, Jerusalem is, is the epicenter of Judea. So one's a city and one is what we would, let's call it a state. And uh, so first it's going to come to the city, then it's going to go through the whole state. Then he said it's going into Samaria. Now, Samaria was an actual piece of property, but it was more than a piece of property. It was a group of people that were despised by the Jews because in the Old Testament, Assyria inhabited Israel. And as, as always happened, Jewish girls started falling in love with Assyrian soldiers. And the result of a marriage between an Assyrian and a Jew was a Samaritan, half-breeds. Orthodox Jews hated them. They considered them to be sellouts. They considered them to be people that uh, were Benedict Arnold's. And they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would walk around it. But Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in the city, then in Judea, then it's going into Samaria, then, he said, to the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Because in Acts 2, Holy Ghost was poured out in the city, and between 2, chapter 2 of Acts, and verse chapter 7, it basically stayed within Judea. If you read Acts chapter 8, it said there was persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. Why would you want to leave? How would you like to go to church with the mother of Jesus? How would you like to go to church with Peter and, and you know, and James and John and Lazarus and, and, and Mary Magdalene? I wouldn't have wanted to leave a church like that either. But there was persecution against the church, not against the apostles. Why? Because there was this guy named Gamaliel you read the book of Acts, Gamaliel was a very respected teacher and politician. And he appealed with the leaders of that nation and said, look, if they're not of God, we don't have to worry about it. It's all going to fall apart. But if this is of God, then we're foolish for fighting against God. Let's just leave these apostles alone. Well, they left the apostles alone, but they didn't leave the church alone. And the church was persecuted. And it says in Acts 8, they went to Samaria. Philip, one of these seven men, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And there was a great revival in Samaria. This is also the place where you will read about an Ethiopian eunuch. This is, the eunuch is the first Gentile that obeys the gospel. 
but it really doesn't explode until Acts 10. In Acts 10, a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius is a giver and a prayer. And literally, the Lord sent an angel to him and said, your giving and your prayers have come up as a memorial before the Lord. And this is what you need to do. You need to go find this guy named Peter, and he will explain to you what needs to happen, which, of course, is what Cornelius did. When Cornelius and his household, it's a Greek word, oikos, which means all the people in his circle of influence. When Cornelius and his household obeyed the gospel, the barn door came open, and the Gentiles started flooding in. That's Acts 10. Between Acts 10 and Acts 15, there is a massive harvest of non-Jewish people. It's so big that the original Jews in the church get intimidated and mad because these Gentiles are taking their parking spaces in the parking lot. And they're sitting in their pews. And, and they're just, you know, just no respect whatsoever. So in Acts 15, this is the first real fight in the New Testament church. It's racism. It is uh, uh, blatant, uh, just, it's bad. And of course, the legalists get involved and they tell these Gentiles, we'll let you come to our church, uh, uh, but you're gonna have to get baptized in the name of the Lord, which was fine. And you're gonna need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which was fine. But all the men have to be circumcised. <laughs> I'm 63. That's a deal breaker for me, okay? If that if that's, uh, has to be done for membership, sorry. Um, not, not going there. And so Peter stands up and he said, really, this is my fault. I'm the guy that went to Cornelius' house. But then you're going to read this. This is Acts 15, verse 13. After they held their peace, James answered, saying, men and brethren, Hearken unto me. Simeon, or Simon Peter, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue... The word residue in English here comes from a Greek word. If you've ever been around Orthodox Jews and they call you goy or goyin, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what that means, but I'm telling you it's really bad. That's what we're dealing with here when it talks about the residue, the leftovers. The residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Probably the most respected uh, early church teacher still alive in the world is a guy named F.F. F. Bruce. Bruce says that when it says, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, he said the name was called over them in baptism. 
But I read this verse, verse 16. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Have you ever heard of the Blessed Holy Family? It's a, it's a, it's a, a concept in some aspects of Christianity. You got Mary and Joseph and Jesus. The Blessed Holy Family, Numbers 3, that's it. Problem with that is uh, Matthew chapter 13. When you read Matthew chapter 13, it says, Are not these his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude, or Judas? And are not these his sisters, plural? So, at the very minimum, the Blessed Holy Family numbers at least nine. Because you got Mary, Joseph, Jesus. Jesus has at least four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. Probably more, but at least two. Now, I wasn't there, but people that are much smarter than I'll ever be all agree that James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, became the pastor or the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. That little book before Revelation at the end of the New Testament, one chapter called Jude, that was written by one of the half-brothers of Jesus. I read this phrase, I will build again the tabernacle of David, and I thought, what in the world is that? Because what James is quoting is from Amos chapter 9. Amos 9 is a prophecy about rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And that's what James is quoting here. Now, I, I went to seminary. I went to a Bible college. I, I learned, went through lots and lots of classes about the tabernacle of Moses. I went through and saw a lot about the temple of Solomon. If you've studied the Old Testament, you know basically the temple of Solomon is the tabernacle of Moses on steroids. They, they, they want, it's bigger and more elaborate, but the basic architecture is the same. Outer court, holy place, holy of holies. I never heard anybody talk about the tabernacle of David. I couldn't find any books. I couldn't find anyone that had any insight into it. But I was convinced there was something powerful there. And so I, 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 I knew there had to be something somewhere either in Samuel or Chronicles. And I found it in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I knew that Samuel and Chronicles were companion text. I knew that somewhere in Chronicles, there had to be a reference to this, and I found it. It's in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And David made him houses in the city of David. If you've ever heard Jerusalem is the city of David, no, it's not. Zion is the city of David, not Jerusalem. In the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. This is verse 3. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. Now, here's the history. Saul, David, Solomon. You, you, we've been taught 
Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, Solomon reigned 40. No, he didn't. Saul did not reign for 40 years. But the first chapters of the book of 1 Samuel deal with Israel getting a king, Saul. And if you read those opening chapters of Samuel, Israel's in a battle with the Philistines and they're losing. And so the preacher's kids, the, the preacher Eli, he's got two backslid boys named Hophni and Phinehas. They go into the Holy of Holies, swipe the Ark of the Covenant, take it down to what's called the Valley of Ebenezer where Israel's losing a battle. And the Bible said they shouted till the ground shook. Quite a Sunday night service. But they lost come Monday morning. They had to shout. But they didn't have a relationship with the God of the box. So they lose the ark. It's in the Philistines' hands for seven months. At the end of the seven months, thousands of Philistine men die from colon cancer. They finally say, maybe God's trying to talk to us. So they get two cows that have just given birth to calves, take the Ark of the Covenant, put it on a wagon, and say, if these cows go back to the barn, we'll know there's nothing to it. But if these cows override their maternal instincts and take this thing back to Israel, we're going to know we made the right, which is exactly what happened. Though the calves were bawling, Mama and her mate took that cart back to Israel. It's a fascinating story when the ark went back. It was met by a group of people called Joseph and the Beshemites. This is the place in the Old Testament where some curious bozo took the lid off of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. Inside of the box were three things, a Tupperware bowl full of manna, there was uh, Aaron's rod that had budded, blossomed, and bore almonds, and the second set of tablets that Moses had. I always like that because uh, the second set. See, Moses is the only guy who broke all Ten Commandments at once. <laughs> and, uh, um, but on top of the box is a lid called the mercy seat. Welded into that lid are these angels, and it's there between those angels that the blood was splashed every year during the Feast of Atonement. So the law of God was covered with his blood. They took the covering off. So they were exposed to the law of God without the buffer of the, of the blood. Over 50,000 men died. They pillaged the ark. Someone swiped the rod. It disappeared. They ate the manna. It's gone. The only thing left, we know this because when they dedicated the Temple of Solomon, it said there was nothing in the ark save the tablets. What amazes me is it ends up in a guy's house by the name of Abinadab, and it stays there as near as I can tell for 27 years, which means that during the entire reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant was not in the Holy of Holies, which means they had church without glory. You can have church without glory. You can have inspirational light. You can have some nice bread. You can have a few people getting baptized. I've heard people say, let's give God glory. I'm not really sure you can do that because Romans said, everything we do comes short of glory. 
I think glory is something that's a, that, that is a manifestation of God's presence. And anyone that's smart will reflect it back and give it back. You don't want to hang on to it. You want to be like the moon that reflects the light of the sun. It's very, very important that this occurs. And, and what fascinates me is there's no ark in the Holy of Holies. David becomes king, and the first thing he says is, where's the box? And they start looking and said, it's in Abinadab's garage. So David says, well, we'll just do what everybody else does. We'll put it on a wagon. And it hit a hole in the road. Abinadab's boy, whose name is Uzzah or Yuzah, whatever, reaches up to touch and steady this magnificent box. When he touches it, God kills him. Like Jerry Clower says, graveyard dead. He's laying in the road, frothing out of his mouth, turning purple. And these Jews are looking at one another, said, okay, who's going to take the box? And they basically say, I don't want nothing to do with this. And then, fascinating, a, 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 a Gittite, a man from Gath, a Philistine, by the name of Obed-Edom said, well, put it in my house. Bible said his whole house was blessed for three months. <laughs> his cows had triplets. He didn't have to water his grass. Car didn't get dirty. Amazing. David, being a typical man, said, let's go read the instructions. So he said, okay, you're supposed to put sticks through the rings, have specific people carry this thing. So they're taking the ark from what's known as nation's threshing floor to Jerusalem, where near as I can tell is eight miles. Every six steps, they stop and offer a sacrifice. I don't know how long it took. It's a long time to get it. But when David gets it to the city, he takes it not just to, to, to Jerusalem. He takes it to a very specific spot in Jerusalem called Zion. And he sets this ark in a place that he'd already prepared for it, a tent. Now, here's the difference. In Moses' tabernacle, there was outer court. Then you went into a tent. There was a holy place. Then there was a veil, holy of holies. As near as we can tell, there's nothing like this in David's tent. David set the ark of the covenant up on Zion, and anybody that wanted to could look at it. Anybody that wanted to could get close to it. David ordained 24 courses of musicians. I, 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 listen to this verse. This is 1 Chronicles 23 and 5. When, moreover, 4,000 were porters. 4,000 praised the Lord with instruments which I made, said David. So let, let's put it all together. I want to know where we get the Bible authority to have all these instruments. I mean, we got keyboards, drums, guitars, cymbals, all kinds of stuff up here. Now, there is a church that says you're not supposed to have instruments in church. Well, we do. So I want to know who's right. Uh, because here, here's the problem. Good luck trying to prove what we do with New Testament verses. You're not going to. There's only one verse that even 
just hints at what we're doing. Just one. It's in Ephesians, and it says, singing and making melody unto the Lord in your heart with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I think we all know what a psalm is. We've got a whole book of those. I think we know what a hymn is. I was with Sister Sexton last week. She's giving instructions about her funeral, and she wants hymns. It, she specifically said, no songs written after 1990. <laughs> so John and I will deal with that. And she, it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be fun. But uh, uh, it says, sing unto the Lord a new song, but it doesn't say, thou shalt never sing unto him an old song. Thank God. And so, um, <laughs> and, and so, the, the, the word psalm in Ephesians 5 and 19 is a Greek word, summus. And, and you gotta, you got to ring it out. you got to twist it. But literally the word summus in Greek means to accompany with the twitching or plucking on a stringed instrument. So it's the only verse I can find in the Bible in the New Testament that says we can have guitars. Good luck having drums. Good luck having cymbals. Good luck having keyboards, tambourines, no New Testament for that. As a matter of fact, you're not going to get singing again until the church is raptured and it said they sung a new song. So the question is, where do we get the biblical evidence for music and instruments? It's Old Testament, specifically Psalms. Psalms are written by at least five different authors. But of course, David is credited with a lot of them. And here's what happened. Do you know that before David became king, there was a word, amen? But every place in the Bible that I could find that amen was used, it was the affirmation when they were going to kill somebody. When they were getting ready to stone somebody, the priest would say, what do you think? And the crowd would go, Amen kill him. When David became king, the word amen completely changes. Now it's so be it. And it's an affirmation of the word of the Lord. And that's not just a death knell for somebody to get rocked to sleep. And they were big rocks. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's what, what I'm finding here is David takes the ark sets it up on this hill, literally gets 24 divisions of musicians, and around the clock, they rest, they rest not day and night. I'm not just talking about angels. He's talking about what went on in Zion during the reign of David, around the Ark of the Covenant. This is the tabernacle of David. You see, when you read the Psalms like this, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts, according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet. Praise him with a psaltery and harp or stringed instruments. Praise him with the timbrel or the tambourine and dance. Praise him with string instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals upon the high sounding cymbals. 
Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. How about this one? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It's just, it's, it's hand clapping, dancing, boisterous shouting, songs accompanied with instruments. This all happens during the reign of David. So when you talk about the tabernacle of David, you're not talking about an Old Testament tent on a hill. You're talking about a form of worship that was created under the dynasty of David. And according to Amos, it was going to go away, and it did. Because when Solomon built his temple, they took the ark and put it back behind the veil where nobody could ever see it again. But years later, Amos gives this prophecy. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And when I do, the residue is going to come into the church. The the leftovers, the people that nobody wanted are going to come into the church. Why? Because they have rebuilt the tabernacle of David. What is the tabernacle of David? It's an Old Testament form of worship that was reinvested and reinvigorated in the New Testament church. I know that because when they have the fight, James gets up and he says, Peter's not the problem. I'll tell you what happened. We have rebuilt David's tabernacle. And because we have, that's why people are flooding into the church. It's not just our doctrinal stance. It's the way that we're magnifying our God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, truth is right information. Spirit's right attitude. I've gotten trouble for saying this, but I still stand by it. I'd rather work with people that have bad doctrine, but a great attitude, than people that have great doctrine, but a lousy attitude. I despise Pentecostals who act like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. I despise mean apostolic people. Just flat out mean. We got the word. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. You got to have more than good doctrine. You know, there was a woman that followed, was it Paul in in the book of Acts? Said, these are the men of the most high God. Whatever they say, you need to obey them. He turned around and cast the devil out of her. She had great doctrine. One God people killed Jesus. If we're not careful, we're going to be so in love with our doctrine that we're going to forget that this thing has to be accompanied with great worship. Great worship. Great worship. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. I got to go fast. This is Psalms 8. Psalms 8 and verse 2 said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. That's Psalms 8. Here's Jesus in Matthew, kind of quoting it, 
but he didn't quote it exactly like it says. This is what he said in Matthew 21 and 16. Have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? One translation said, the nursing baby in the house of God will pray a prayer that will shut the mouth of the enemy. Thank God for all the gray hair I got, of which I am one. I have bifocals, trifocals, progressive lens. God help anybody that gets progressive. They said there's a sweet spot. Good luck trying to find that sweet spot. I've had glasses since I was a little kid, man. Listen to me right now. I'm grateful. You get your strength in a church from your elders, but you get your life from your young people. And according to this scripture, there is ordained strength promised to a church that has young people that know how to praise God because that is perfected praise. Did, did, did you get what I'm saying here? Because here's, see, in all them churches in the book of Revelation, it'll say this, under the church in Ephesus, under the church in Thyatira, under the church in Sardis. But when you get to that last church, this is what it says, under the church of the Laodiceans. It doesn't say it's in Laodicea. It says it's of the Laodiceans. This is the for church that said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You, he said, I'd rather you'd be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is what I read. Again, I haven't been here, but this is what I read. It was, see, I always thought hot was good, cold was bad. But when you read Laodicea, hot's good, cold's good, lukewarm's bad. And I wondered what it was. This is a fascinating thing that I found, that there were mineral springs hot water that was close to Laodicea. And they built, they built aqueducts to bring this hot boiling water into the city of Laodicea. But the problem is these, 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 these aquifers and these hot, it's, uh, if you've ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas or any place like, if you've been to uh, Yellowstone, uh, this is not clear water. These, 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 this water has heavy sediment inside of it. And as these hot waters were coming through the aqueducts, the aqueducts are still there, but, but as these hot waters were, were, were being transported down from, from, from these, these baths into Laodicea, it got, the water lost its heat and, and, and the minerals in solution settled down and ultimately clogged up the pipes and they couldn't get the hot water from the boiling springs to Laodicea. There were other places that had beautiful aquifers and magnificent cold fresh water coming out of the ground close to Laodicea. They built aqueducts to bring this cold water to the city. The only problem is there's no refrigeration. So the cold water that started in these beautiful springs, by the time it gets to the city, it's not cold anymore, it's lukewarm. This is possibly what he's talking about. I'd rather you be hot or cold. I don't, here's the problem with Laodicea. They refused to go to the source. They always wanted the source to come to them. 
It's like, I'm not gonna do it God's way, God's gonna do it my way. It's a Latin phrase, vox populi, vox dia, which means the voice of the people becomes the voice of God. This is not just the church in Laodicea. This is a church that's run by the Laodiceans. All seven churches are rebuked with one exception. All six of them, they either left something, they lost something, they're tolerating something that was evil. Only one church is not rebuked, and that's the church in Philadelphia. The church of brotherly love. This is what it says, that there is something in the church in Philadelphia so powerful. It's called the key of David. It says that there are things that are open that can be shut. There are things that are shut that can be opened. I know enough about doors that if it's closed and you open it, it's, yeah, there's somebody that can shut it. If it's, if it's shut and you want to open it, somebody can open it. But how are you going to keep it shut? You need a key. You need something to lock the thing. Listen to the phrase of the scripture. There is within Philadelphia something called the key of David, which gives that church the ability to open things that have been shut for a long time. Able to open things that have been shut. Able to shut things. That have, what, 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 what is open in your life right now that you wish a million times God had shut the door on that thing and stop either that influence or that habit or that pastime? I don't know what that is, but I do know this. The secret to it is not in a, just a doctrinally correct place. The secret to it is a church that understands the value of Old Testament Testament worship that understands the value of amen, that understands how to clap hands, that understands how to use your mouth like a weapon, that understands how to sing and make melody in your heart and not just in your heart, but with instruments as well. It's vital that we do this, that you think of the words, that you think of it. It's coronavirus, okay? You know what Corona comes from? Crown. Crown. He knows. You ever seen an eclipse? If you've ever seen an eclipse of the sun, you have seen the Corona, the edge of the sun, those splashes and spurts of that hot gaseous mantle that is around the sun. That's the Corona. That's the crown of the sun. Now put it together, coronavirus. It's the crowned virus. It's the king of all viruses. And if we're not careful, we're gonna get sidetracked, worried so much about the king of viruses. I'm not worried about getting infected by the king of viruses. What I'm intimately afraid of is we lose our contact with the King of Kings. This is what we have to stay in touch with. This is what we gotta have. Stand, stand. I wish I had time to teach you this, but you tell me the first time in the Bible thorns are mentioned. It's a curse. It's a curse all the way back in the garden. But the God that I serve took a curse, turned it into a crown, pressed it in his brow, and that blood's running down. Why? Because don't limit the blood to sin. It's by his stripes we are healed. You gotta understand there's bloodshed for your sin. There's bloodshed for your body. And there's blood that came from the brow to give you balm for your brain. They call it a cerebral hemorrhage. You got blood on the brain, right? That's what I got. I got 
have blood on the brain because the blood that I serve is not cerebral hemorrhage. It's called redemption. It's called redemption. I serve a God that can do more than heal my body. I serve a God that can wash my sin away. I serve a God that can help me with my thought life. God forgive us if we come to church and sit there like a mannequin and just sit there just quiet. We are angels would love to understand what's happened to you. How would you like to beat Satan right now? He messes up one time and he gets booted out. The Bible calls it an estate. They left the estate. It was, New Jerusalem's a nice place, okay? <laughs> what, what, what is it, 10,000 times this week I've sinned? Do you not realize how frustrated Satan is? Hey, Jesus. I got arrogant one time and you threw me and my pals out. Harold has already done it billions of times this week and you forgive that bum every time he repents. Yes, he does. You think I'm gonna stay silent? You think I'm gonna, the Bible said rocks, no rocks taking our place because I have an understanding of what he's done for me. So here's, here's my admonition to you. If it wasn't a Bush, then it was Bill Clinton. And if it wasn't Bill Clinton, everybody's mad about Hillary. And if it wasn't Hillary, then it, then it was Obama. And now it's Trump. And now it's Korea. Don't you see what's going on? The enemy is gonna do his best to distract you with something just to get your mind. Would you get out of those newsrooms and those news websites? They're just stealing your joy every day. Don't get sidetracked with social issues. Stay a worshiper. Keep on magnifying the Lord. You want the church to grow? Let's rebuild the tabernacle of David. So the people come here and go, wow, did you hear that music? Did you hear that skillful playing? Did you see them people clapping? Did you see them dancing and shouting? Wow, I've heard about all their rules. I've heard about all them crazy things them Pentecostals do. You know that scripture, the half was not told me? You need to read the basis of that. That was the queen of Sheba. See, she'd already, Solomon had all this gold. He had apes, peacocks, all this stuff. The Bible said when the queen of Sheba came, and she saw the splendor of his house. The Bible said there was no more spirit in her. One translation says she fainted. She fainted. And then when they bring her to, this is what she said. The half was not told me. Then she says this, happy are thy servants. Happy are thy cupbearers. Happy are the people around your, she, she's a queen. She's got all people serving. They're scared to death of her. They told her about all the stuff about Solomon, but what nobody bothered to remind her of was, guess what? Them people down there around his throne, they're happy. They've heard about our speaking in tongues. They've heard about all this crazy stuff we do, but what no one bothered to tell them was, you know what? I think that people are really having a good time. This is a better way to live. If there wasn't a heaven, if there wasn't a hell, this is a better way to live. Our duty in this social environment is not to get sidetracked. 
with all of this stupid stuff that's trying to steal your joy. Our job is to continue to be a magnifier of his majesty. We will build an attractant. We will build a magnet because when everything that can be shaken is shaking, people are gonna keep looking for something that won't move. And if your faith is on the solid rock, you're gonna look more and more appealing right now than ever before. Because I don't know what's happening to the stock market. I have no idea what's going on with the real estate market. Some of this stuff scares me, slapped to death. I just know this. I'm gonna serve God and do my best this week to bring Him joy. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be kind to people. I don't care what color their skin is. I'm gonna be kind to them. I'm gonna be nice to them. I'm gonna be a brother to a brother. I'm gonna be my best to be an example to my sister. I'm gonna do my best to be a Christian. And I'm gonna keep worshiping because we want David's key to exist in this church. So that's what we're gonna do what we do right now. If you're in this crowd, and you want somebody to actually pray for you, lay their hands on you. They have a Bible for that. Call for an elder of the church. They'll anoint you. Prayer of faith will save the sick. This is what it says. And if you committed any sin, it'll be forgiven. That's a good deal. Not only will he heal your body, he'll forgive your sin. You came to get healed in the body, but he healed your spirit. That's a twofer. That's a good deal. There are people coming up here right now. They're ready to pray for you. We're doing our best to be respectful in this environment, but don't get used to this because we ain't staying like this for month after month after month after month. We're not doing this forever. Amen. Amen. If you want somebody to pray for you, we'll pray for you right now. If you are not comfortable doing that or if you don't need anybody to pray for you, I'm cool with that. But while we're praying, don't you dare sit there in them pews and be silent. Don't you dare sit there and let your hand, lift up the hands which are fallen, strengthen the feeble knees, lift up your voice like a trumpet. That's what it's supposed to do. Let's magnify God right now and let's see if he won't unlock some things that have had people chained up for far too long. Let's see if he won't shut. The Bible said he shut the door on the ark and they couldn't get in. He said in Malachi, I'll open up the windows of heaven and they'll give you a blessing. Nobody can stop. Do you understand that? Windows are Old Testament. There are no windows in the New Testament. It's doors. There's doors. There's doors. So these people are going to sing. And skillfully, they're going to sing. I'm asking you to sing with us. Praise and worship with us. You didn't come to church just to hear me preach. I'm not that good. You didn't get come just to this. I'm convinced you came because you wanted to contact the master. And don't leave here. The Bible said when the wise men came to where Jesus was, they fell down and worshiped him, and then they went home a different way. That's what we got. Don't go home the same way you came here. Go home different. If you're sick in your body, let's believe the healer can heal you. If you're struggling with anxiety and fear, fear has torment. Perfect love casts out fear. Let's let the perfect love of the Spirit of God renovate your heart right now and get rid of that torment. If you've got family issues, you need to, we need something to unlock here right now. Let's praise Him.